Hey, welcome to church, everyone. June 28th. Wow, we have made it, and I'm so proud of each and every one of you. I think it's amazing how our church has become a multi-site church all of a sudden these past few months. So from our house right here to your living room or wherever you're watching this with your family, we just wanted to welcome you to what's going on. And as I mentioned earlier, we're kicking off a new series today. I have the opportunity to kick it off. My friends are going to continue it in these next couple of weeks. And we're calling it Moral of the Story. And this sermon series is all about Jesus and his incredible ability to tell stories and connect with people. He truly was, I mean, Jesus was amazing for so many different things, but one of the things he's so incredible at is connecting with people, sharing the good news of his story with us, Um, and what he would do is he would use parables to connect with the audience and illustrate his teachings on the kingdom of God in a relevant manner to his audience. So you might be wondering, what is a parable? The way that Dr. Charles Ryrie described it is a parable is a figure of speech in which a moral or spiritual truth is illustrated by an analogy drawn from everyday experiences. However, the Greek word for parable is a broad term and can refer to many things like a simile, a metaphor, a proverb, a story, an allegory, etc. Here's an interesting fact. About one-third of Jesus' teachings were in the form of parables. Some are short sayings designed to instill a single truth. We're actually going to focus on one of those tonight. Others have detailed interpretation. Parables were told by Christ usually to make the truth more engaging and clear to those who were willing to hear, but sometimes they were used to make the truth obscure to those who lacked spiritual sensitivity. So today, I'm going to talk about one of the parables Jesus told very early on in his vocational ministry, but before I do, I just want to step into these moments together. You and I and your family and your kids that are running around right now, trust me, I get it. My kids are normally like climbing on things that they shouldn't be climbing on and flinging food where it shouldn't be flung in these moments. So I'm going to pray for you and your family, but also for me in these moments before we get into God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for how you are growing us internally as a church these past few months and how you're going to continue to do that today. Lord, may we be reminded that the church is not a building that we go to, but a family we belong to. And I'm so grateful for the fact that you've, you've given us incredible technology like this to keep us connected, to keep us going and growing these past few months. And we trust your ability to continue to do that for us today. I pray against any screen fatigue, any Zoom fatigue, and distractions going on at home right now. And we pray that we can just dive in together in these moments so that we can better represent you to our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and jump to Luke chapter 5. You can't say you forgot it at home because you're at home. So I'm going to give you some time to go and grab your Bible right now or open up your app to Luke chapter 5. We'll be reading in verse 27, starting there. Um, But I want to set the scene. So again, we're in the Gospel of Luke, which is just 
uh, really fun terminology for the good news of Jesus recorded by the eyewitness of Luke. And setting the scene a little bit, Jesus is beginning his vocational ministry. So a chapter earlier in Luke chapter 4, he's already declared his purpose in verses 18 through 19. He says that he's been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recover sight for those who were blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the, the gospel of Luke is just a fulfillment of what Jesus said, this is what I'm here to do. So we see that begin to happen in the, these verses leading up to this point. We're seeing that Jesus is building his disciples, but also building his discipleship team. He's picking out some unique guys that honestly the religious elitists at the time were like, really? You're picking him? Like, do you know where I got my degree from? I got it from the best synagogue, man. Like, I thought you would know this. But he's, he's picking a bunch of nobodies, some, some people that were maybe referred to as thugs and sinners and all these other things. This is who Jesus is saying, you're going to bring my message to the world. He's ushering in the joy of heaven. It, it's just so much action going on up to this point. But we're going to pick up on verse 27 where he calls one of these people, it says that Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Jesus says, Levi, I want, I want you to follow me. And Levi leaves everything behind. He follows Jesus. And his natural response to following Jesus is to throw a huge party. Come on, this is good. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They asked so Jesus answers them. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, which I think is such a peculiar thing for Jesus to say because the Bible tells us that none are righteous without Jesus. So these people who thought they were righteous, Jesus says, hey, I'm not calling you, but I'm calling sinners to repentance. They said to him, well, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. So then the Pharisees have a different problem. First of all, who you called is a bunch of people that have a notoriously terrible reputation in our community, Jesus. We got a problem with that. And second, when you called them, they didn't have this response of, oh, I'm so guilty. Oh, poor me. Like, I need to go and like fast and torture myself. No, they're throwing a huge party and they have a problem with that. And Jesus is like, no, this is an appropriate response to when Jesus enters your life. So these guys, they're clearly not getting it. 
They clearly are not understanding the message that Jesus is ushering into the world. So he tells this story. It's his first parable recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Check it out. Verse 36, he told him this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants a new, for they say, the old is better. This is amazing. Powerful, powerful stuff going on here. What I want to do before we get into the practical application for you and me in 2020 is explain the relevance of this parable to our modern day Western culture, which is 2,000 years after the fact it was told to this Middle Eastern culture. Because remember, this parable was super relevant. It was extremely practical and they knew exactly what he was talking about. So when we hear things like wine being stored in wineskins, like I thought they were stored in bottles or, or barrels beforehand. Like this, this is all new terminology to us. So I want to take a moment to just explain a couple of things that Jesus is saying so that we can make this parable a little bit more relevant for you and me. So first, it's important to know that wine is commonly symbolic and representative of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in the Bible. Wine is commonly symbolic and representative of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in the Bible. Second, wineskins were made from the skins of sheep or lambs that were slain. Keep that imagery. It was very elastic. When people put fresh grape juice in these skins, in the process of the grape juice maturing and fermenting into wine, the wine skins would expand and form itself around the matured wine. And this is totally indicative of the life of a Christian. This is what Jesus is saying life should be like for us, that as the grace of Jesus matures in our lives, we are supposed to grow, expand, and form our lives around the grace of Jesus. You see, wineskins were used as containers for liquid. If filled with new wine, old skins lost the elasticity and burst when the wine matured. So the moral of this story is that the new teaching of the grace of Christ cannot be contained within old forms of thinking. Wow. But we need to remember who Jesus is addressing in this parable because we can be any of these people in this story. We need to remember that he's addressing it to the Pharisees who believed they knew everything there was to know about God who had these 
preconceived perceptions about how God's grace should work, who God's grace should be shown to, what type of people God's grace should be shown to, what it looks like played out in the lives of people. And Jesus is saying, your way of thinking is broken. And I haven't come to repair your old way of thinking. No. I have come to give you a completely new way of life with a grace that you haven't experienced before. But what's so sad in these moments, and he mentions it in that last verse, I don't know if you caught this. He says this in verse 39. He says, And no one after drinking old wine wants a new, for they say the old is better. He's saying you've become so solidified in your old ways of thinking that you have become unteachable and unable to be stretched by the grace and spirit of God. Yikes. Let that be a warning for all of us. So here's the goal for you and me. We don't just want to be filled by the spirit of God. We want to be stretched and formed around his grace. We don't just want to be filled with the spirit. That's the start. The moment we give our lives to Jesus, that is the start, that we're filled by his spirit. But we also, as we mature, want to be stretched by the grace of Jesus. We want to have God form the entirety of our being around Jesus' grace. So I actually have an analogy for us to bring this into a little bit more relevant terms for you and me today. So I have a few different things here. I have a wine glass, I have a balloon that's kind of a little bit lame, and I have a balloon that's fully blown up over here. So let's picture this. Let's say that this, these were the Pharisees right here. This is also you and me before we knew Jesus. Now, so often what happens in modern-day Christianity is that we bring our wine glass to Jesus, and we say, Jesus, I already have my worldview formed. I already have my thinking shaped. Now, I need your grace to fit my standards. But as you can see here, this wine glass is broken. It's fractured. It cannot contain the grace of Jesus as it's supposed to. You see, this is what the Bible says too. All of us have had a broken worldview before knowing Jesus. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 5, 8 says. But this is so often what we do. It's like, hey, we, we are, Jesus, we need you to fit into this. Okay, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Forget this. This is broken. This is terrible. Not going to work. I need to give you a completely new way of thinking, and you need to shape your life around me. So here's the next question. Is this balloon full of air? Like, pretend that there's wine in it, okay? Use our imagination a little bit. You would absolutely say, yeah, this, this, is, this is actually, it's, it's full of air. Every, every part of this inside is full of what was put into it. Is this balloon full of air? Yes. This one is also full of air. It's full of what was placed inside of it. But where the difference then comes is, has this balloon 
reached its full potential? Or has this balloon reached its full potential? How did this one reach its potential and this one has not? Because this balloon has been stretched and has formed around, and and through the painful process of stretching, it has grown and reached its potential. You see, so many Christians then are filled with the Spirit, but don't actually get stretched by the Spirit and grace of God. And you know what's so interesting too? At the core of each of these balloons, you might not see it on the screen, I hope you do, there's actually a light in each of these balloons. You can hardly see it in this one, but in this balloon over here, you can see it much better. That the balloon that has been stretched, the balloon that is reaching its maximum potential by what is being put into it, the light shines so much better in this one than this one. So I just got a few different examples of what it could look like for us, for you and me, to get stretched today. The first is, <laughs> you know, racism. And we've, we've talked about this the past few weeks, and we're going to continue to talk about this because this is continually a problem in our society. And our old way of thinking, we said, nope, Jesus, I need you to fill my preconceived worldview. I'm not even going to admit there's a problem. You know what, Jesus, I didn't own any slaves So, you know what? I'm good. My grace is good. Just fill me up. Fill my ways of thinking. I'm all good. But it doesn't work like that. Then there's others that might say, hey, you know what? Yeah, there's a problem of racism, but I'm not a racist. You know, I'm I'm, I'm colorblind in general. And and that completely, you know, although that might be coming from a pure heart, it's coming from a misinformed mouth because You've maybe been unwilling to get stretched at this point. And then there's this. With the topic of racism, maybe you're stretched a little bit. You admit that there's a problem. You're growing in empathy and compassion. You're educating yourself with experiences outside of your own. And you know what? As a matter of fact, this is something that BlackRock has committed itself to this summer. We want to actually grow in our education and our learning with racial justice in our country and how we can be actively anti-racist in our lives and continually stretched by the grace of God to see this happen in our church and in our world. So one of the things that we're doing is we're actually going to be reading this book called Just Mercy together as a church. I highly recommend you get yourself a copy of that. And Caleb will be reaching out to you. Caleb Hodson will be reaching out to you about what that's going to look like in our community groups and just the life of our church this summer. Great way to grow and to be stretched and formed by the grace of God. But maybe another way that you can be stretched is in your marriage or relationships. So maybe with your previous broken thinking, oh, marriage is to please me. Oh, my relationships, as long as they're making me happy, right? Jesus, as long as you make me happy, yeah, I I, I can subscribe to that. I, I can like and subscribe and comment to that. No, no, no. But then maybe, okay, it's, It's not just about my happiness. It's about growing in faithfulness. But you're in a relationship right now that's honestly been 
stagnant. You're, you're, you're just kind of getting by. Maybe if it's a friend, it's a, it's a casual text once a month, just checking in. But in your marriage, it's like you, you live with the person, but honestly, maybe they're becoming a stranger in your house, and you're not being stretched. But maybe in, what if I told you that marriage was not designed to form around your happiness, but to form us around the sacrificial love of Christ, and that the way that we show that is by finding ways to creatively serve our spouse. And Hannah, I know you're watching this right now, and you might be elbowing me in the side in the moment. I am being stretched in this, friends, especially two kids under three. Pray for me. Jinta household, we need all the prayers we can get. Whatever it takes to serve my spouse. What if it asks, what if you ask the Holy Spirit, God, how can you stretch me today to serve my spouse, to serve my friend a little bit better than I did yesterday. That's how you get stretched. And maybe an- another example, I'll, I'll, I'll leave us on this one, is the example that we're setting to our kids in the world. Okay, you know what? They need to get into Princeton Review, top 50 schools. Oh, you know what? My kid's special, top 25 or bust, right? Like, all right, Jesus, I for my kid's life around that. You know what? They need to be involved in every single extracurricular activity. And then it moves to, okay, you know what? Maybe this isn't the full picture. Maybe this is a broken way of thinking. Um, so you know what? I'm going to make sure that my kid, you know, get, I, I'll, I'll discuss the Bible with them, you know, maybe on Sundays as we're watching the Black Rock morning service or the Black Rock Kids Service. We'll talk about it a little bit. We'll subscribe to what the kids' ministry has been putting out during this pandemic. Um, and, you know, we discuss it a little bit. Um, you know, they, they can attend kids' ministry or youth ministry when it's convenient to them, but it's not really getting stretched. Maybe, what, what, if, what if we were able to show our kids, or if you don't have kids, Show the people that are under you in your life that the pursuit of life and faith doesn't look like perfection, but looks like freedom. What it, like, think about how much that's going to stretch you as a parent or a mentor. I know that it's stretching me. The fact that right now, as I'm telling my two-and-a-half-year-old son how to navigate his emotions and demonstrate self-control in his life, that there are moments where he doesn't see dad doing that well. And I'm like, son, I'm 27. I'm still figuring this out myself. Like, hey, you know what? I can go and admit to my son and not have this face up that everything's okay. You know what, son? What dad did was wrong. I apologize for the behavior. I'm figuring out self-control too. Because what that shows him is that my faith and my pursuit of life is not about being the perfect dad because I, I'm not going to get there. But I can point him to the one who is and say, hey, you know what? Because Jesus is perfect, I don't have to be. I'm going to strive to be more like him, but I'm not going to let what just brought me down keep me down because the Lord is lifting me up. And this is what freedom looks like in the life of a maturing Christian, what if we were able to show our kids that faith and life is not about perfection, but about freedom? This is how we get 
stretched and shaped and formed around the grace of God. If I can just encourage you with one more thing, it's that we want our lives to be shaped only around the grace of Jesus, not any other idea. And I I need to mention this because if we start with trying to be a good person, if we start with just the elastic wineskins and and not actually the grace that's supposed to go in it, you're going to be real tired and you're going to be completely missing the point. I want to emphasize something Jesus says. He says that new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So whether that's you just trying to be a good person without Christ, I'm going to tell you, you're going to miss the mark every single time. We need the grace of Jesus. Not just our enemies, me too. You too. But we also, you know, for for those of us that have maybe been trying to be like Jesus as much as we can, but aren't continually saying, Jesus, I need your grace today. I'm tired. Like, can I be honest with you guys? I've been really tired trying to be as anti-racist as possible. And Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in doing good. But man, if I'm honest, there are some times where I am so exhausted of doing good where I'm being stretched. Am I being stretched by the right things? Am I being filled by the grace and the Spirit of God. Church, this is how I want us to close out today's talk and today's parable. I want to encourage you with just a few verses on top of what I've already shared. One is Ephesians 4.24. It says, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, The new creation has come. The old life, it's gone. The new is here. Don't go back to this. Stay committed to being shaped by the grace of Jesus. That's his whole story here. That's the moral of the story in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 39, is I want to be filled by the Spirit, and I want to be shaped by his grace. Can I pray for you? Lord, I pray for my friends this morning, wherever they're meeting, wherever they're listening to this message, Lord. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, can meet them uniquely where they are. I pray that you will comfort those that need to be comforted. I pray that you will challenge those that need to be challenged. I think that all of us need that. And may we trust that the life that you have for us, a life that is stretched and marked by the grace of Jesus is the one that you have created each and every human being to live. So Lord, we pray that you will fill us with your grace and continually be moldable and stretched to what you're trying to do in us and what you're trying to do in the environment around us. God, we ask that we can represent you well to this world for your name to become more famous for the right reasons here in Fairfield County and all across the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.